not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled, where I've been telling my story of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my story there, and I invite you to share your stories here. Well, it's season eight, episode one, and Wow, eight seasons. That's amazing. Happy New Year, everyone. It's not only a new season and a new day and a new year. It's the end of one decade and the start of another. Today, for some, will be a day of momentous change. And for others, it will be a celebration of having made it through the holidays and New Year's Eve alcohol-free. And for some of you, it's just another day because once you get this whole sobriety thing on a roll, it really does become a day-by-day thing and the days add up. Well, for this episode, we will hear from a number of women who I recently met at a She Recovers retreat in Mexico. I asked each of them to share how they did it, and the answers are as varied as the women themselves. I'm going to start by introducing you to Leslie, who, as you'll hear, has yet to maintain her sobriety. She talks honestly about the mind games she plays with herself and why she keeps sabotaging her own success. Now, usually on the Bubble Hour, we have guests with the minimum of 90 days sober, but I want you to hear where Leslie was at because many of you might be experiencing the same thing. So take heart and like Leslie, keep going. And then by contrast, you'll hear from Mary who refers to having a slip in early recovery. And for both women, they recognize a recovery date when they started to make changes in their lives and also a sobriety date marking the amount of time since their last drink. And that's an individual choice, how to mark those days or if you mark them at all. You'll also hear uh, about traditional 12-step approaches like AA, as well as newer programs like Smart Recovery, Refuge Recovery, inpatient programs, outpatient programs, no programs at all. They got sober using yoga and book clubs and online resources including this podcast. And you'll note, for some of them, their recovery extends into other areas like eating disorders, codependency, and trauma, and that there's a significant overlap in the healing process. So whether you're preparing to go alcohol-free, or if you're in the midst of change or actively maintaining your recovery, you are sure to find many useful nuggets to hold on to in the words of today's guests. Hi, my name's Leslie, and I first started getting serious about living an alcohol-free life and, and attaining sobriety back in 2015. I've been actively trying to maintain sobriety for a solid four years, and uh, I'm 57 years old. Right now, I am on my new day four of sobriety, and I kind of don't like that you have to restart your day count and not nobody has to do anything. But when I first met you, Jean, it was my very first She Recovers retreat and it was November 11th, 2018. And that was my first like serious day one, because after I met you, I then had four and a half months of sobriety, which was awesome. I've been following your journey pretty closely. We've stayed in pretty close contact So I know you've had a year of recovery, even though technically you haven't had a year of sobriety. Can you talk about that for me, how those two timeframes align for you? Yeah, that's a great question. It's funny because I say I first tried to stop drinking in 2015. And then in the beginning, when I learned like there's this recovery work you have to do, you have to explore deep down, like, why are you drinking? What are you trying to numb? Why are you doing, you know, and all that digging, what we call the recovery work, that's sort of what made me not even get close to getting sober. Cause I was like, Oh, well forget that. Like if I have to dig into myself, I don't want to get sober. I'd rather drink and not think about it. So that's one of the reasons like it's been four years coming 
these ups and downs. I was going on my first sober vacation with my dad and my dad has happened to be a trigger for me my whole life. And, and he has sobriety. And so we were going on sober vacations international. And, uh, I decided, well, if I'm going on a sober vacation with my dad, I definitely got a drink before that because, and so that's too bad. So I, I drank probably the week before the sober vacation. So I had, I had four and a half months of sobriety and then I drank for a week to say, well, I really still want to remember what it feels like. And then I went on the sober vacation and it was AA people and I'd never been in AA and never gone to AA. And there were four meetings a day. Actually, I heard later there were more meetings a day that I didn't even know about, but I went to four meetings a day and I loved them. It was funny because I didn't think I liked AA and I was, it was this beautiful resort, Sober Vacations International. If you want to look it up online, they have, um, I don't know, eight to 10 retreats a year and they'll take a whole all-inclusive resort and it's all sober people. So this one was about 440 people and there's no alcohol on the resort period. And, and, and you're just around people that are in the program. And, uh, some people might've had a day sobriety like me. Cause I guess what I learned from AA since I drank on the way there that it, <laughs> my four months didn't count anymore, which really kind of stuck in my craw. I didn't like that. Cause I liked the feeling of victory of my four and a half months. And, um, anyway, so then I stayed sober again for a while. And then I had some, I had the thing, you know how they say like when you achieve, like never take your sobriety for granted, even if you have like 10 or 20 years. And so what happened is since I had achieved what I thought was a big amount of sobriety, I said, oh, well, I'm not that bad and I can drink and I, I don't drink that much anyway. And I'm not hurting anybody and I'm a successful business owner and mother. And so I'm going to go back to just having a glass or two of wine a night. And then of course, like the first night you try that, it's a bottle and, uh, so then I was like, okay, this is serious. I guess I am powerless on the, with the AA people. I was saying, I really struggled with the higher power thing. And also when you have pro like the things that make you want to drink or things that seem insurmountable, what do you do? And they say, just give it over to your higher power. And I said, well, that's kind of hard for me. Cause I just don't f- see how you can give a problem to your higher power. And so I, um, they said, think of something greater than yourself and so I said, well, the ocean, I always feel connected to God with the ocean. And they said, okay, well, when you have those problems or the insurmountable things that make you want to drink, just throw them into the ocean. It's mm. like giving them to your higher power, whatever higher power you want, just give whatever anxiety or craving to drink to that higher power, whatever problems, whatever triggers, whatever resentments, give them to your higher power. For me, it's tossing them into the ocean and then know that being sober feels fantastic. And even though I'm sorry, like I'm at a She Recovers retreat right now and I had sobriety before I came and then I drank on the plane. And it's like this weird, you know, Belle calls it wolfy. It's this thing that tells me, oh, you better drink if you're about to become sober for life. And so now that's why I'm on day four again. Well, hi, my name is Mary. I started on my recovery journey in July of 2013. Uh, I was 53 years old at the time, and it was the first time ever in my life that I absolutely made a decision that I wanted to stop drinking. Based on an episode that happened the day prior to my decision, I woke up one morning and made the decision that that was it. I didn't want to. I didn't want to drink anymore. It was not working for me anymore, and that I needed help. Back in April of 2015, just a few months prior to my two-year anniversary, uh, sobriety anniversary, I did have a day where I, I like to call it a slip, not a relapse for personal, mm, I guess you could say it's for personal reasons, but I had a little slip, a little whoopsie, where I had two drinks. Uh, I made a decision to do that because I was mad at someone, so I drank over that person and uh, I had two drinks and then poured the rest of the alcohol down the sink because I had a wake-up call like what am I doing so yeah so I've been alcohol free since 2015 but I have been on my recovery path uh, since July of 2013 it's been fabulous it's Mm. been great it's been quite a growth to protect my sobriety over these past six years it has changed. Recovery has grown over these past six years. I remember feeling awkward, and it's an uncomfortable feeling. It's hard. 
but I didn't have to pick up. I, you know, and I chose not to pick up. I didn't um, do it. I just dealt with the uncomfortable feelings. My name's Allison, and I've been in recovery for four years, and I never thought I'd be able to stop drinking, but I did. Every day is a gift now. Every day that I open my eyes and I don't have to think if I can pick my head up off that pillow is a gift and a wonderful day. Did you think you'd ever say that? No, never. I never thought I'd say any of that. I used to, I would go to meetings and hear other people say how grateful they are and how thankful they are. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I never thought that that would be me saying that. Well, I tried to stop drinking for a long time and I kept relapsing. I kept thinking I could drink like a normal person and then I'd be sober for a while, and then I'd try again, and that went on for years. And then um, I went to an IOP, intensive outpatient. That helped a lot, and it made sense to me. I was able to remain sober for about a year, but then I went back out again because I thought, oh, I got this, I can drink like a normal person and I just didn't want to give it up I liked it I liked drinking I liked how it felt and I didn't want to give it up so that went on for a while and then oh, a couple bad things happened and my husband really wanted me to go to uh, inpatient rehab and I kept resisting you know no no I won't go that doesn't turn out so well usually it was his um, goal to find me an appropriate rehab. And I had some restrictions. I wanted non-12-step based. I wanted non-punitive rehab. There were, there were a few restrictions that, that I had to find an appropriate rehab. Well, he found one. It's called Practical Recovery in San Diego. And it's based on smart recovery and as opposed to a 12-step recovery. So we went to SMART recovery meetings. And I'll tell you a little bit about SMART recovery. It's also abstinence-based for people with all kinds of addictions. And it's self-empowering, meaning that I have the power. It's, it's my power to take control of my sobriety and my addiction. It, it just makes so much sense to me. There are no labels. I learned how not to use labels. I don't really will say I'm an alcoholic. I would much rather say I'm in recovery because I'm so many more things than an alcoholic. So I just say I'm in recovery because um, alcoholic is... I don't like that term because then I'd feel if I said that, that would be my whole identity. That would be who I was. And I have many other identities that... I just say I'm in recovery. There are meetings and tools, and it's a, a behavior-based program and a scientific-based program. And it, it, the approach to behavioral change is built around four points. First one is building and maintaining the motivation to change. The second is coping with urges. Third is managing thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And the fourth is living a balanced, positive, and healthy lifestyle. And those are the things that I learned when I was in inpatient rehab. And those are the things that I tried to bring back with me into my daily life. My name is Emma, and um, I started my recovery journey about two years ago. And I was working with doctors and uh, going to weekly meetings. Uh, a few false starts during that first year, for sure. And then um, in January of la this year, I was just, I guess, I don't know if I was more ready for it. I took, uh, I guess I took a different approach in the sense that I was more determined and I was just officially ready. And I did a cleanse to um, help me sort of change my habits. Because that part of last year, what I realized was that it was more out of loneliness, loneliness boredom and habit. So that's kind of what kept drawing me back to it. So this year, I was like, okay, I need to fill that time that I would be drinking with other positive things. So I, you know, started going to the gym and, um, you know, doing different things like that, more positive things. So I did it for a month and I was thinking, okay, great, I'm good. I don't have, you know, I'm, there's no problem. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then about a week later, I had three glasses of wine and it was pretty, uh, 
pretty tipsy, let's say. <laughs> I was like, okay. And then at that point I realized, okay, I really officially need to just give it up. And I was just done with it at that point. And that's the last time I, I drank. And I'm to the point now that like, I don't even desire it anymore. If anything, I'm actually kind of, it almost makes me feel kind of sick looking at it. Like I'm almost grossed out by it, um, which is a good thing. But um, yeah, I've been working with different groups. She Recovers has definitely been a pillar in this journey. And I've gone to a couple of AA retreats as well. And yeah, just being around people who are of the same mind mindset really helps as well. That's been a big part of it also actually kind of keeping me keeping me on track, I guess, and just inspired, inspired more than anything rather than on track because I don't even have the desire to have to drink anymore. So I think it's just more inspiration and motivation mm-hmm. to see their long-term recovery and how they've changed and also seeing that and feeling it in myself that alone has been really inspiring and yeah to, I mean knock wood at this point I don't have any desire to go to have any drinks so it's been really good I've been lucky that way I'm looking at more strategies to kind of manage my stress and stay on my healthy track and it's more about managing my reactions so I've got some um tools in in place for that and you know listening to the podcasts and things like that and just you know gym staying healthy and uh yeah that's my plan well in the early days like I said last year I had many false starts um you know I was really determined but you know it just it, it got me let's say um and then as things kind of started to shift when I was tempted I would um play the tape forward and think forward on how I would feel and how I felt in the past in terms of, you know, what I would drink and I would hope that it would end well. And it, you know, usually didn't. It usually ended in a blackout, unfortunately. Um, and I just didn't want that for myself. So I would go to that headspace and I would force myself to think of that. And then, and then, I, and then, and then it passed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just kind of playing the tape forward. Um, I just feel confident and I just need to kind of stick to my guns and I don't want to go back to it. So mm-hmm. I can't believe how much better I feel. I think I was kind of su- stuck in a cycle of drinking and then that would cause my anxiety and then of course I would feel terrible about myself and then that would just you know continue and continue and continue and I had I was losing all of of my confidence in my ability at work in my um just in in myself quite frankly and you know through the different programs that I've been working on like she recovers and doing my AA groups and just meeting different people that are in the environment as well and just kind of pushing myself um yeah, I'm just definitely gaining more confidence and I'm trying new things that I would never have thought that I would be doing, which has been amazing. Like what? Uh, well, being here, for example, <laughs> like just going chatting with you, I never thought I would do this. Um, I went to, I'm terrified of heights. Um, I went to an indoor skydiving thing. So that was pretty cool. Um, you know, just going to different spiritual work, retreats, which I never thought I would do either. And yeah, just really always pushing myself out of my comfort zone and uh, also being more confident at work, which is really key as well. So my name's Amy and I have been alcohol free for three years. Primarily, I would say I've used yoga and meditation and also journaling and therapy and counseling and refuge for recovery meetings and a little bit of smart recovery also. Refuge for recovery um, is a is a meeting that might be in your area. It's it's not as um, well known maybe as AA, and it's starting to spread across the country. But it was started by Noah Levine, and it has a very strong meditation component to it. Smart recovery. I've dropped into those meetings um, when I can't get to a refuge for recovery meeting. The meetings felt to me um, structured, but they didn't have some of the components that AA did. So yoga for me has a has some of the components that you might find in the different recovery models. So there's surrender. There's being present. There is sitting in discomfort. And so I found that there was a lot of commonality with yoga that I was finding in some of the other recovery models. But yoga for me was a time where I could just be by myself on my mat and sit with whatever came up with without judgment, without shame, and move through my body and let things that needed to be released from my body be released. And having those moments of quiet and stillness where I didn't feel so quiet or still in other areas of my life for me was always accessible. I could do it 
whenever I could, or I could even like pop into a bathroom and just take five long deep breaths. Um, you know, so I found yoga to be something that was always at my disposal. And even if it was in small parts of just even just feeling my feet on the floor. Did you go to yoga to get sober or did you go to yoga and discovered through yoga that it was time to get sober? I was seeking something and I didn't know what it was. And I started practicing yoga and then sobriety came after I started practicing yoga. And I was at a point where I maybe not necessarily wanted to get sober, but all these things in my life lined up that when I really started to dive deep into yoga, I found sobriety. I'm Claire, and I've been recovery for 33 years. And um, I don't know how to label my recovery. Um, it's, a, it's been a blessing. It's a gift. It's a gift to myself. It's a gift to my family. And it's a gift to my grandchildren. And coming from an alcoholic uh, home, I was a sitting duck for it, for the disease. I got pregnant uh, when I was a sophomore year in college, and I come from an Irish Catholic family. And the shame that I felt and the shame I brought on my parents, I touched their, their shame. I was told uh, not to show the pregnancy or tell anyone, and I started uh, the behavior of bulimia. And I went into alcohol. I think I was sitting duck for alcoholism anyway. Uh, and I couldn't tell anybody the truth. I started drinking heavily and uh, medicating myself with food and alcohol. My sobriety, um, I'm an abstinent woman today. I'm in a program, a 12-step program for uh, my food addiction. And uh, that I can bring sobriety to the family and healing and um, as a mother of four children, I was there physically. I thought I was a good mother. I was always at their, their games and all the different um, functions that were at school. And I thought that was being a good mother and being a cook and et cetera, et cetera. And I realize now in my sobriety, I wasn't there emotionally for them. I wasn't there emotionally for myself, so I couldn't be there for them emotionally. This disease, it doesn't matter whether Yale or jail, it can um, take, take over anyone's life. You know, being sober 33 years, I don't see myself drinking, but I do, I can get um, anxious and I really want to live in the present moment. And so I need to be really careful around the holidays and around family. It's just center myself and just know that, you know, wherever I am is where I need to be. Uh, but today it's I really want to be where my feet are and uh, just come from a place of love and non-judgment and be grateful. Gratitude is one of the things that every morning I wake up, I say to myself, thank you, God, for my sobriety, for my abstinence, and for the love I have um, that I never had for myself before. So again, it's, um, it's self-acceptance, self-awareness, and I have the ability to change, change the things that aren't working for me by maybe a little different perspective. How do I want to perceive this? Things change. They just change. We perceive things that we think they're worse than what they really are. Trust your intuitive self that you are okay. One of the hardest things to do is to ask for help. I spent years um, hiding the secret that I was alcoholic, 16 years, and, um, and it was... It really is a power greater than ourselves that gets us sober. And just know that power is going to lead you in the right direction. So asking for help is really vitally important. Knowing that you're okay, that God loves you, and that he will walk with you. My name is Erica. I quit drinking 447 days ago. My drinking really escalated when I was in a really stressful job. And it was a job that was very um, in on the front line, 
and in a smaller community and had a high drinking culture. So I really wanted to be anonymous. I didn't feel comfortable going to meetings. I used a lot of online material. I tried to um, educate myself as much as possible. I just kept I just kept on it. I just kept trying and I would stop and start and stop and start. And I just kept listening to podcasts and Googling information. And it was really helpful to me to research the effects on the brain and the body. I was approaching 40 and I was, you know, noticing that my health was not what it used to be, both mentally and physically. And it was really a motivator to me to get realistic uh, because I'd been in denial for so long and alcohol kept me in denial about what I was doing to myself. Part of my story is also that uh, you interviewed me, Jean, when I was six months sober, um, about nine months ago, and uh, I wasn't comfortable using my real name because at that time I was still working in that job that was quite um, public, and uh, I felt like my sobriety was like this little vulnerable baby that I had to protect. I wanted to keep it hidden. I wanted to keep it uh, safe. Um, I wasn't ready to expose it to the world. Um, and I know like a lot of people talk about recovering out loud and how that's really important. And, and, and I, I really believe that recovery is a roll your own thing. It's so individual and, and everyone has to find their own path. And that's, that's the joy and that's also the work of it. Well, it was important to share my story because that was really the tool that had gotten me finally sober was listening to so many women on this program specifically that I finally felt like I understood, like there was a relation there. It was like high functioning women who were using alcohol to cope and it had become a problem. And and before that, I felt very alone and I felt very isolated. And so I felt like sharing my story, it would resonate with somebody. I didn't know who, but it would resonate with someone. So that's really, that was really important to me to share it. You know, you don't see the effects of it immediately, but down the road, uh, you know, I hope it helps somebody. I used the name Anna. It, that was my grandmother's name, so I just picked that. Uh, and it was in March, March of 2019. You know, I live alone, and I've lived alone for a long time, and I felt a little bit like when I was, when my drinking became a problem, I felt like it was just my big dark secret. I really felt like um, when I was struggling to like string days together, the witching hour was really tough for me when I'd come home from like a stressful day and I was just wired and fried and, and I needed to relax. I, I really had to think about why that was hard. Um, what was I trying to escape from? Why did I need, you know, like, what was I really trying to achieve then? And ironically, I thought it was loneliness and there was a bit of that to it, but I was really lonely for myself. I was lonely for my own companionship and compassion and like being my own best friend because I'd I'd been abandoning myself for years. So I really just wanted myself back. My early sobriety and still to this day, my evenings are filled with, uh, keeping my own company and making myself feel nurtured and comfortable. I pushed myself out into the world and into those parties and, and into that extroversion for a really, really long time. And I used alcohol to do it. And when I didn't have that anymore, I was choosing not to have that anymore. I really got to honor the part of me that needed to be still and quiet, like peaceful. That's, that's good January 1 material right there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hi, Jean. I'm Kim, and I do identify as an alcoholic, and I've been sober since January of 1984, for which I am really grateful. I got sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous as a result of a second DUI when I was in my late 20s, and I felt safe there because I really, truly did not know what was wrong with me at that time. I thought I was going crazy. My life was not in any way what I wanted it to be, and I felt completely unable to change it on my own. So I was so grateful to be in a place to know I wasn't crazy and I wasn't a bad person, and the things that I did while drinking and using were drunk behavior, and that wasn't really who I was. So I found a blueprint for living, tools for staying sober, 
and a fellowship to support me um, during when I got sober because I could not imagine a life of sobriety. I could not imagine a life of not drinking to me meant laying on the couch, watching TV with no friends and nothing to do. And I found that it didn't have to be that way. And there were other people that had the same thing that I did and were having great lives, and I wanted that. So I have remained um, a, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous all these years. And yet, once I achieved sobriety and after several years, my recovery was not about not drinking anymore, although I never want to forget where it took me. And that I do today have that protection from that moment of insanity that might tell me that it, to drink is a good idea. I've learned to remember where it takes me. And I honestly don't want to live in hell anymore. Already been there. And so today I know that using my tools of recovery, spirituality, connecting with other people, inventory of myself are what I need to do to move forward and stay sober and continue recovery most importantly. For fun, I like to bike ride. I live near the coast in Southern California, so I like to go to the beach. I get together with friends. We go out to dinner. We celebrate each other's recovery. I uh, like to do yoga. I like to do a lot of things during the day because they seem to be more healthy. Um, So pretty much connecting with friends, um, beach, bike riding, working out, music, Pretty much I can go anywhere I want to do, anywhere I want to, and do the things I want to do without thinking about being triggered by alcohol. Drinking, I can say really today, is not an issue in my life. And at some point, recovery takes over. And it's more about growing internally and spiritually um, rather than not drinking. But I never want to forget where I came from. I, I do go to meetings now. Um, I was married for 24 years. In the last two years, I've probably gone to more meetings than I had in the prior 15 years. Um, So I go to meetings for connection and support, particularly when I'm going through difficult times. Um, But I have had years where I didn't go to many meetings at all and things were good. And I was um, living, uh, celebrating the gifts of sobriety and getting married and um, buying a house and and having puppies and boating. And so I've learned in my recovery that there's a time for everything. Mm. There's a time to enjoy the, the gifts of sobriety. There's a time to work on yourself. There's a time to commune with others. Um, so it kind of goes in a flow. Hi, um, I'm Sharon Lee, and I am a woman in long-term recovery. Primarily, when I came into the 12-step rooms, um, it was through um, with a friend who was going to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, and I was going to support her, and then I came into the rooms that way, and I sat in that room, and I really was like, whoa, these people are my tribe. I heard my message. I heard... I heard them talking about what I was thinking, so it was like this nice surprise. I kind of was like, I guess one would say like a high-low bottom or something. Like I still had all the stuff around me, but I was still dying inside. So um, that was, uh, it'll be 23 years in on March 18th. And I do all fellowships. I've started there, and then it's like I kind of went into other 12-step fellowships. I've done the AA fellowship, um, only primarily because I moved to Mexico 12 years ago and and in the little community I lived in there wasn't an uh, an NA 12-step fellowship it was just AA so like I just went to whatever A I could get my hands on and <laughs> and over the years I've uh, um, scratched the surface on a lot of A's I pretty much qualify for all the A rooms but I also over the years have added a bunch of different ways to help myself it's like the patchwork quilts of you know I've been around enough women to hear how they did it and add those tools to my toolbox. So what are some of those tools? Oh, uh, meditation, yoga, uh, self-care, you know, and self-care could mean just like, you know, sitting in a stoplight and taking a couple of deep breaths, Mm -hmm. you know, um, taking five minutes just to go into the cubicle at work and, you know, in the bathroom cubicle and take some deep breaths. 
uh, close my eyes to visualization of me getting on that beach to Mexico because it was a long-term dream. It didn't happen overnight. Like it was a 20-year plan. So there was a lot of like, can I do this? Can I do this? Bridging steps and I can't do this. Who do I think I am? So like those things and I would just have to like reinforce myself and sometimes just closing my eyes and visualizing myself there helped me get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No matter what's going on, I know I don't have to use anything that's going to change my mood, no matter what kind of emotions I'm going through. I'm Christina. I'm in recovery from perfectionism and bulimia and codependency and betrayal trauma and other things as well. But And tell me what tools you use to make changes in your life. I find that when I'm writing in my journal, it helps me get in touch with whatever feelings I'm having. I also have a tool which is a diagram of a feelings wheel. So it's got a zillion different feelings starting out at the smallest, sad, happy, mad, afraid. And then it really teases out those feelings into very distinct, um, more specific feelings that help me. If If I look at that feelings wheel and I list, sometimes at the end of the day, I'll just write down all the feelings I've had that day. And it's a shocker because you can come up with 50. Uh, But I also think until I can articulate what I'm feeling, it's hard to articulate what I'm thinking. And until I can do that, I can't actually change my thoughts, which I know that I can. So I guess that leads me into another one of my tools is becoming aware of my self-talk and um, addressing the things that I'm saying to myself and changing them. For people that identify as being um, in sobriety, they have a date and the passage of time is a motivator to continue working on their sobriety because it's abstinence-based recovery is black and white. When we're talking about some other things and codependency is a great one, Um, bulimia is pretty black and white. You're either Mm -hmm. acting out or you're not. But do you have a way to mark milestones or fuel motivation? What does that look like for you? That's been an interesting challenge for me because I don't have a date. I don't have a before and after. Um, I consider that I've been in lifelong recovery. And obviously the, that's looked different, differently throughout the years of my life and my recovery. It's more of a daily sort of awareness, catching myself in negative thoughts catching myself in a lot of times it's self-deprecating thoughts or if I'm comparing myself to others, cravings, food cravings for sure. Or sometimes I don't catch myself until after I'm in the midst of eating or overeating. Um, A lot of times my markers are when I start, it may be I notice I'm feeling especially irritable. I do the hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you know, if if I'm biting people's heads off or I'm feeling... Sometimes if I'm just feeling super anxious, then I have this awareness or you know, I try to have an awareness that says, oh, Christina, look, what's going on? Take a look at what's going on. What are you really feeling underneath? A lot of times I'll ask myself, what are you trying to avoid feeling? What, am I, what do I not want to feel right now? As I'm you know, thinking, oh, I want another cookie or... Oh gosh, if I'm starting to feel like really wanting to control anything and everything which comes up for me all the time, you know, one of my best tools is what am I trying to avoid right now? Mm-hmm. What do I need? What, what's, what am I really hungry for is something that comes up a lot for me um, because it's not usually food when it's a food situation. Um, it's not usually food. It's usually I'm lonely, I'm sad. Oh, I need attention. That little girl inside of me is needing my loving attention. You know, a lot of times it's a physical thing where I'll actually put my hand on my heart or over on my chest and kind of just rub that part of me and think to myself, hi, sweetie, or I hear you, honey, what's happening in there? You know, and really listen to her. Sometimes it's um, taking some slow, deep breaths. Sometimes it's, sometimes I have to kind of I don't like to jolt myself because I, I really practice. My practice is on being gentle and kind with myself. But sometimes um, I'll ask myself, would I treat my child like this? Would I treat any sweet, adorable little three-year-old the way I'm treating myself? Um, and that will, you know, it's not a jolt, but it's a little wake-up to remind me, no, I would never 
talk, the way I've spoken to myself, to another human, much less a sweet little innocent person, and, and reminding myself that I am that sweet little innocent person in there. And put your hand over your heart and love up that little girl who's probably feeling scared and not good enough. And remind her. Because that's the biggest thing for me, too, is realizing, oh, I have, not only do I have the little girl, but I have the mama, mm-hmm. right? I am my mama now. And so I get to tell her, you are wonderful. You're okay. It's okay. Yep, you got this. And I'm right here for you. And in fact, you can kind of step behind me and I'll take, I'll take care of you, right? The little girl doesn't have to be the one out running the show. My name is Rachel and I have been alcohol-free for six months. I first attempted to go alcohol-free a year ago in August, you know, a little over a hundred days or so, and then kind of thought that I uh, learned a lot about myself and I would be able to moderate and just, you know, just going to leave all the alcohol-free stuff and just kind of um, try to drink again. And... um, in that time, I actually did moderate quite a bit, and I went alcohol-free for parties and things like that. It was just a lot of work. Um, I was constantly trying to do, like, drunk mom math. Like, okay, I had two glasses of wine. I should have some water now. Or should I eat? And it was just a pain. It was too much work. So in May, end of May, I just decided to stop and, and just go alcohol-free again and really dedicate myself to that. Um, and I went after finding more, um, local support, um, where I live. I live on the East coast of, of, um, I live on the East coast in the Carolinas. And, um, I was just going through Instagram and found a alcohol free book club in my area. And that's the first thing I had found of anything in my area, So I just completely stalked this girl like on Instagram and Facebook and she contacted me pretty quickly and her and I have become friends and a couple other women in the, in the book club. Um, we all became friends. The book club has kind of dwindled a little bit because of, um, job changes and pregnancies and things like that. So it's not quite as involved with each other or we don't see each other as often, but we still text all the time. So that was a big help to me. Um, I listened to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of books I really enjoy Seltzer Squad. They're on the East Coast as well. Um, And I met some girls through their Facebook group who are also within my area. And we've had lunch before and we text. And I was just a little more open about it with my my family already knew, but just with people. Um, And when I put that openness out there, I was met with a lot of support. And that has been wonderful. So I, in my town, if I, I went to the grocery store one time and somebody just said, I love seeing your story. I, I love seeing that you're, what you're doing and that you're alcohol free. And I get a lot of people that message me and contact me. And sometimes it's to say like, how did you do it? And other times it's just to say somebody else in my family is alcohol free. Um, and I'm rooting for you. So I've been more more open with it and um, a lot of good stuff is, is coming in. And I also took a class that was four weeks long at like a meditation wellness studio and that was also amazing. And then that was another little support group that I used. It does, it helps keep me accountable, it helps keep me motivated and I like to have time to myself and be introspective and I, I like the quiet, but I don't like being alone. You know, I feel like those are two very different things. I like um, texting with people. I might not be on the phone with somebody for an hour, but I like uh, having people that I can contact. It's It get, keeps me accountable, but it also keeps me open. And, and people come to me or they and bring something up and um, maybe I meet somebody new. I just, if I feel like it's just a... It connects me so much more to people. I'm Kathy, and I have been alcohol-free for 31 years. 31 years, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> what did, how did you get sober 31 years ago? What, what did you use to make that change? What I did was I actually entered the recovery world through Al-Anon and went to a treatment program with my ex-husband, And I thought it was supposed to be all about him. And they started saying, well, let's look at your family tree. 
And is there anybody that drinks in your family? And and I was like, wait a minute. But I, I really had the opportunity to take a look at my own drinking and say that isn't something that I wanted in my life. And, the, and they suggested that I not drink for a year. And I thought, I could do that. I could not drink for a year. And I didn't. And 31 years later, I haven't had a drink or a drug or, or anything. So I feel really fortunate to have entered the recovery world that way. Did you just quit drinking then? Or did you go through a program? I just quit drinking. I was really very fortunate. And my, my dear friend always says to me that she went, had to go to the basement and I went to the first floor. <laughs> and, but I think that I, I, as I look back, I can really see that I definitely would have, I was on the road. Mm-hmm. And that drinking was just, a, I, I, I grew up in an Irish Catholic family and drinking was just a part of our culture. Mm-hmm. You would drink, there would be alcoholic christenings, birthday parties, and... I was pointing the finger at my ex-husband because he was further along in the progression than I was. But once I got more information, I realized, yeah, this is, this is an issue and I'm not going to drink. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I remember thinking it was going to be a lot easier than it was. And then going to party, going to social events and parties and people saying, oh, come on, one drink won't kill you. And really having this commitment to myself, no, I really have made a commitment to this year. And um, no matter what, if your ass is falling off, don't pick up a drink. (laughs) That was sort of the motto. And I did mostly Al-Anon meetings. I did go to AA. But when I went to AA, I didn't really identify. And I remember there was someone that said to me one time that they spilled more than I drank, which wasn't a very welcoming attitude. And, they, and also people would say, oh, you're in denial. Come on, tell us the truth about your story. There must be more to it than that. And, and there really wasn't, and that was my story. And I think it's one of the th- reasons why I'm so attracted to She Recovers, because of the idea of the patchwork of recovery. And um, your story doesn't have to fit everybody else's story. You have your own individual recovery journey. And that's been mine. That's been mine, and I also love the principle of early intervention because I'm an example of someone that when people are given a certain amount of information, I think that they can make some decisions. And it might, you know, it's, it's different for everyone, but I have seen that when people recognize that it runs in their family, that they, have this, they, have, they, they haven't stepped over the line yet, but they are around people that have, and they see how much harder it is. It's, I just feel really lucky, I guess that's what I want to say, that mm-hmm. I was able to do it the way I did it. And there is that expression, too, that we, you know, we give up our addictions in the order that they're killing us, and that codependency was killing me. So Al-Anon really was my, my entry to recovery, and I saw I was so other-aided. It was all about how I was going to, how any, it wasn't how I felt about myself. It was how everybody else viewed me. And I was going to fix my ex-husband. And it, the focus was on him. It was on him. It was on him. And recovery's given me a self. I didn't have a self before. So the codependency had to be addressed, then the alcohol, and then food popped up. And when I put the alcohol down, and so I, I'm also in a food program where I don't eat any sugar or flour, and I weigh and measure my food, and that's been so much freedom also. So I'm, I'm wondering what's the next thing to pop up. I'm not sure what that's going to be, but right now I'm, I'm you know, alcohol-free for 31 years and abstinent, what we call abstinent, on and off for the last 20 years, mostly on, mostly on. About 80% of the time I've been abstinent, but I have had breaks. The food's high. What does abstinence mean to you? How are you defining that word? Abstinence is no sugar, no flour, weigh and measure your meals. Okay. And, and not eating anything in between. And it just gives you total freedom around the food. And, that, and that's allowed me to maintain a normal body weight because I had actually gained 40 pounds and I wasn't happy with that at all. And it wasn't just the weight. 
I saw that I didn't feel good and that I was I had a different personality when I was eating the sugar and flour. It's hard to jump, make that jump if you're someone that's um, just getting sober. I know I probably couldn't have done it when I first was getting sober. And the drinking isn't even an issue at this stage. I, I know people don't like to hear that, but it really isn't an issue after 31 years. It's still there, but it's, it's just, I can't even imagine picking up a drink. So anything that gets in the way of protecting my recovery, I try not to do. I would say the number one thing that I would advise is ask for help. Remember your priorities. And I believe my number one priority is recovery. And my intention is to be loving and kind to all who cross my path. That's what I say to myself, loving and kind to all who cross my path. And in order to do that, I have to take care of myself. I have to be centered because I think that like, what's really important to me? What's really important in this moment? To remember who you are, remember what's important to you and, and make your choices in your life according to what those things are. Well, that's it for this week's episode, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, take good care. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. Just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. In a dark corner is where shame likes to hide. We think you're strong just cause you'll keep it on the side. It just stays in wait there to rob you of your pride. Turn the light on. I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power